Jewish Money Matters episode 330, Living a Life of Kiddush Hashem with Mr. Scott Gardner. You're listening to Jewish Money Matters, the podcast where Jewish wisdom and spirituality meet your money and your business. Money is a means to serve God in this world with joy, to build a life that leaves an imprint way beyond our time in this world. I want you to discover the secrets to Jewish wealth, to gain practical and spiritual tools to break free from the shackles of financial worry, to design the joyful, rich life that your soul desires. Welcome to Jewish Money Matters. I'm Yael Trush, and I'm so glad you're here. Living Kiddush Hashem imbues the sense of royalty to each and every Jew, because it's very important, everybody listening, you Jewish people are royalty, exactly. you noble people. In 3,300 years after we received the Torah, pretty much we are not being persecuted in a mass way. And we can elevate ourselves to the level where we can bring the final gula very shortly if we individually and collectively, consciously change the way we interact with the world. You just heard from the founder of the Living Kiddush Hashem Foundation and founder and CEO of Briscoe Apparel, Mr. Scott Gartner. You're listening to Jewish Money Matters. I'm Yael Trush, your host. Welcome to the show. Today's conversation is about making a Kiddush Hashem, sanctifying God's name. What does that mean? How do we do that? How do we do that in business? What are the personal and national implications of making a Kiddush Hashem? Our conversation goes well beyond the origins and the work of the Living Kiddush Hashem Foundation. Mr. Gartner and I speak about some of its financial challenges, financial choices, Voices, Bitachon, and more. Here's the insightful Mr. Scott Gardner. Mr. Gardner, welcome to Jewish Money Matters. It's really such a pleasure to have you on the show. Likewise, thank you for having me. I'm really looking forward to this opportunity to talk to you as the founder of the Kiddush Hashem Foundation. You're also a seasoned businessman. You're the CEO of Briscoe Apparel. We'll talk about that in a little bit as well. But how we first came into contact was actually through LinkedIn. And somehow I connected with your post regarding Kiddush Hashem. And of course, it's a beautiful topic. I was so impressed. And that's how we started this conversation. Why don't you start us off with, let's start with a definition, Mr. Gardner, because to you and I it might seem common parlance, but not everybody in the audience may be observant. Not everybody might be familiar with the terminology. So it's good for us to just set the stage. What really is, how would you define Kiddush Hashem? The first clear illustration is when you are focused as a person, Orthodox Jewish person, on Kiddush Hashem, you will naturally avoid the Hashem. Mm, the opposite. Absolutely. The profaning God's name will be avoided when you're focused on sanctifying God's name. So realizing that if you do something even by accident, it could be in the eyes of somebody else, mm-hmm. a Hashem. So mm-hmm. technically, you might think you're doing nothing wrong, but when you're living a life of Kiddush Hashem, you're actually focused on that and you naturally avoid Chilah Hashem at all costs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. A second benefit is it helps us, the individual, to attain a higher level of Avodah, which is very significant. In the past four and a half years, since I've been working with Rabbi Friedman at Living Kiddush Hashem, I've noticed my Avodah, Striving higher. 
Mm. Uh, whether my davening or my hanhadas, my customs, my consciousness has changed. And that's a huge benefit uh, to it. And, and by the way, there are personal benefits and there are national benefits. Right. One of the most important things to me about Kiddush Hashem is it talks to me. And now I'm sure you're interested in how did I get involved with it, some of my life's background. But I got into it in such interesting way that I started to focus on the national aspect of the benefits mm. of Kiddush Hashem. And after I cover the remaining points, the other benefits, I'd like to you know, share that with you. Yes, but yes. Go ahead. No, I was going to say that to your second point of the benefit, you know, I was thinking like, yes, the minute we have Hashem present as front and center in our lives, evidently our service, our avoda, like you would describe your davening, your prayer, so much how you appreciate your customs, all of it, because it really is a focus when we're sanctifying God's name. It means that we're putting we're literally internalizing the idea that we are God's representative in the world, meaning I am here for God, right? I am here by God, for God. So God is front and center. It's not about me. It's about my creator. Okay. Yeah. You just summarized the Derech Hashem in 30 seconds. As an observant Jew, there are basically two forms of positive interaction in the world. That it's either we're doing a mitzvah mm-hmm. or we're making a choice of necessity. Everything else, according to the most stringent rabbis, and it's very hard to achieve this level, is not a necessarily vera, but perhaps a waste of life's energy. Right. So it's very, yes, accurate. Mm-hmm. So maybe this is a good time to remind listeners as we're kind of talking about the benefits and we'll talk about the national benefits that you just mentioned, but remind listeners of the idea that as we're having this conversation, because somebody might listen to us and say, oh, well, this, this all applies to observant Jews or what the world calls Orthodox Jews. But really that's a big mistake because whether, whether a person who's listening, whether we like it or not, we have God's name written on us. It's most likely that 90% of the people you interact with, whether you're wearing a yarmulke or not, or your child, you know, wears yarmulke and tzitzes and kind of identifies your family as being observant. People know that you're Jewish and the people around us subconsciously see Jews as representatives of God, as I said before. Mm -hmm. So I want everybody to know that this conversation is actually relevant for every Jew who's listening. Yeah, absolutely. So to tie that together, there's some other benefits that that will really help explain that cause, if you will. So, for example, you as a person, when you focus on Kiddush Shem, it imbues you with a self, a a sense of mission. Okay, and that's the third benefit. The fourth is it gives you a sense of longing for the Geula. Mm. So now taking that three and four and understanding that the Rabbanishadam, God, Hashem, the creator of the world, gave us the Jews. And I said this in one of my posts just on LinkedIn, right before Shavuos, gave, and Chazal teaches, our, our rabbis teach us, but Joshua, Sinai, Mount Sinai, is the same kind of Shoresh with the change of a letter as Sina, is hatred. 
Mm. When Hashem gave the Torah, the Bible, to the Jewish people 3,300 years ago, there was a natural sense of animosity created between the Jewish people, the chosen people, right. and the other people of the world because of our closeness to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, to Hashem, to God. So what happened was, just like you tell a kid to take out the garbage, well, that's a chore. You're chosen to do a chore. So you can see the mitzvahs as a responsibility. It still creates a lot of animosity if you come from a royal home, mm. which we do. And living Kiddush Hashem imbues the sense of royalty to each and every Jew because it's very important, everybody listening. You Jewish people are royalty. Exactly. You're noble people. And 3,300 years after we received the Torah, pretty much we are not being persecuted in a mass way. And we can elevate ourselves to the level where we can bring the final gula very shortly if we individually and collectively consciously change the way we interact with the world. Amen. Beautiful and beautifully said. So, so Mr. Gartner, so how, how, what was, what was the impetus? How did you get involved in this? Why, why did you start this foundation? Was there a personal impetus, a personal story behind this? Well, yeah, there's a lot of, first of all, how I got involved with Rabbi Friedman was in a, I mean, my whole life is literally, I like to tell people if they want to see the Yad Hashem, walk with your eyes open. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Open your eyes. Hashem is con- constantly talking to us and directing uh, our, our path. It's incredible. Yeah. Tell us. Tell us. We want to see your seeing the Yad Hashem clearly in my life many times. I'll give you the, the short version of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was all five. I was living in Borough Park. All five of my kids got married, lovely children to lovely families, and they all migrated, thanks to my oldest son-in-law, to Lakewood, of okay. which, you know, I really never knew much about Lakewood in those years. But we bought a property near them. We didn't want to live on top of them after Lakewood had developed. And after I stopped St. Cottage for my mom, who passed away, Shown that eight years ago, I said to my wife, that's it. We, we, I had an office in Lakewood for the kids. I couldn't take the commute. I had it. I said, we're going. So we really didn't want to live in the house that we bought. I temporarily rented a home in Bells right on the border between Lakewood and Tom's River. Okay. My wife drove around every day looking for a stunning home in Tom's River. And in those days, you just can't imagine what kind of great value was there. And there was a huge backlash. There was a movement called Tom's River Strong. And then non-Jewish people and even actually Jewish people did not want to bear the same trend that was happening in Lakewood. So they wanted to keep Orthodox Jewish people out. But my wife had a beautiful home, and we moved on. We were the first Orthodox Jews to live on our block. Really one of the first 10, 20 families to move to Palms River. Now there's only over 3,000 in the past eight years. 
But and when you when you moved there, there was a shul, there was a community that you were moving close by, even though you were the only person, let's say, in your block who was Jewish? Well, Rabbi Rapper Shlita, the Rav of Hatzalah of Lakewood, yeah. was known to be buying a house right around where it was good enough for my Shabbos shul. I had my daily minion covered if I had to. Okay. At and Rabbi Rapper had about 10 to 15 people that were moving with them. Okay. By the time we moved in, the first 10 to 15 people were there, and it was it. some of the best davening we ever had in our shul. So at that point, it was only 16 houses, which takes me 20 minutes. Give you an idea how spread out we are. To get to shul and the abuse on the roads was simply horrifying. And I got involved with, I created a coalition called Love Thy Neighbor. Okay. Don't want to spend too much time on it. I had the Attorney General of the State of New Jersey, Brad Bilheimer, the Ocean County Prosecutor, Sheriff Bastinardi of New Jersey, and all the various interfaith leaders of the community. Rabbi Robert said, look, you, need, you can't go this alone. You have to build it with a coalition of people. It's more noteworthy than a little Jewish kid trying to fix the world. So I had good experiences, and then the Ocean County prosecutor kind of took it over. <clears throat> and I realized something, that I wasn't having enough impact, and I like to have impact in the world. When I come into work, I'm just not satisfied to get right. to the day. Right. Um, an impact player, and I spoke to Rabbi Rotberg. I told, <clears throat> told him what I was feeling. I called Rabbi Michal Tursky, who I'm lifelong friends with. My best friend, although it's shown uh, itchy long run from Baltimore, was my NCSY director, and he sent me to Israel. And he passed away. So I called Rabbi Michal. He was on sabbatical, and he had a long conversation with me. And he said, Shabsi, you can tell anybody in my name, and you can quote me. I'm afraid we are on a collision course. On a what? On a collision course. Okay. That was frightening for me to hear those words out of him. And he so, was specifically referring to the situation in Tom's River? No, I, he was referring to us. In general. The Jewish people in life. One local, national, global. Mm-hmm. And we've talked many times since. And so anyway, so he says, yeah, go ahead with what you want to do. I mean, I, I think what you want to do is great. So what did I want to do? So before you tell us, I want to just spell it out for listeners, because I'm not sure, I don't know if anybody who doesn't have a said and read your post really gets it. So when you move there to that area of New Jersey, right, it's New Jersey, you move there and you're one of these pioneers, your early families, you're just literally sensing very, in a very tangible way, the animosity from your non-Jewish neighbors. Oh, it was worse than that. Actually, my wife and I were walking home from show one day, and someone threw a co- iced coffee at us. It hit her. It was frightening. She happened to be walking with my youngest son. We were in a state of shock, and of course, there were epithets said at us. What? Well, 
Here's a beautiful part of the story. My wife is dressed in her Shabbos clothes. The iced coffee hit her right here to the waist. And I thought to myself, wait a minute. Here's a guy driving. There's cameras. He can't get away with this. So mm-hmm. my son was wearing gloves. It was like a wintry day. I said, Mayor, pick up the cup, take it home. I'm going to call Chief Little. He's Mitch Little became a friend of mine through all my activity. He sent an officer out after Shabbos. And by the way, the Bowser Dian said that you should have gone to a neighbor immediately then asked to call police that. Oh, wow. Suffolk Petuach Nefesh is that you're allowed to ask a non-Jewish person to do something one Shabbos. So it's Suffolk Petuach Nefesh, because who knows what he's going to do to the next guy. Long story short, Chief Little was very upset when he heard this story. Hooked the cop, realized he could get fingerprints on the cop. He had a first name on there. It was iced coffee. There was still ice in the cup. Went around to all the local stores got surveillance because it had the timestamp of the cup, got the exact name and receipt of the person, brought him into the station, interviewed him. He admitted to it. And he was, they filed hate charges against him, assault with hate charges. So my wife became very friendly with the detective, a lady detective, (laughs) and asked what, to the gardeners one out of this situation. And we thought about it and we certainly didn't want to build another white supremacist. And so we, we asked them, the judge to be lenient on him and for community service by doing some counseling or whatever. I forgot exactly what the legal jargon is. And that's that's how we concluded that chapter. Mm-hmm. And it was it was a very challenging time for us. But I realized that was how people feel towards us. Mm-hmm. It was not a micro level. It was a macro level that frightened me. Because it could have been a gun. It could have been a rock. It could have been, which are deadly. By the way, rocks are deadly. Mm-hmm. And so... Anyway, after speaking to Michal, I called Matty Berger, my dear friend, who I'm from originally Baltimore. And Matty Berger got his job with H.T.O. when he came to my chasna. I introduced him to Rufnach Weinberg. Mm-hmm. And Matty told me that he had a manuscript. I called him on like Thursday evening. He said, Shops, he called me Shabbos. So I called Matty. And he had this original blue manuscript called Mikat Sheshmecho from, from Rosh Raghi, Wine, Raghi Raven from Denver. And I had to know more. And so he said, I'll send it to you. Okay. Mm-hmm. Fine. No problem. Okay. Mati, we'll talk. And then it dawned on me that there was a Rav Steinberg mm-hmm. from Denver that wanted to become a Rav in Tom's River. And we had spoken the week prior when you talked about seeing the hand of God. I immediately called Svi and I said, hey, Svi, do you know a guy in Shrami Friedman? And he says, of course. <laughs> Let me get him on the phone. He's a Rebbe in Cincinnati. So the next thing you know, we're all three talking. I said, Rebbe Friedman, I've, I've got to meet you. Do you have one of your sparring? Can you send me? He says, well... 
And now things got very fast. Things got amazing. You know Hashem wanted this. Yep. This is, well, two things. First of all, I also have published books in English by art school. And like I said, wait a minute. I said, I picked up the phone. Yossi Kornfeld from art school. This is my neighbor. Bring me home one of these living kid of Shem books. I didn't put it down until five o'clock in the morning. Okay. Rabbi Freeman came into Lakewood for a simcha. My wife drives me to meet him. I think, Chava, I'll be out in a few minutes. Three hours later, thank God for the iPhone. <laughs> and it was a great meeting. And that's when Living Kiddush Hashem started. I was impressed with everything that I had seen and heard of him. And he literally saved me years of my life, building the foundation of material that we needed to go out there and do the work we're doing now. Okay, so tell us specifically what kind of work is the Living Kiddushan Foundation doing? So that, that's a great question. Actually, we're doing a lot of different programs, initiatives, so to speak. The first and most important thing is education. We're educating our youth. We have our educational program, which we started. We actually have four of them. We publish elementary curriculum. Beautiful, beautiful. Uh, yeah, absolutely beautiful curriculum that uh, it's used for originally camps, seventh to ninth grade. Wow. Yeah, it's, it's, it's actually amazing. Actually, all the material is available on our website, kiddushem.org. Mm-hmm. Then we did a middle school program for year round, and uh, it, it, it's done very, very professionally. We actually were working with Torah Sora, and it was too much of a topic for them to really do the proper teaching. Mm-hmm. Rabbi Freeman has this now in about 100 camps, yeshivas, and, uh, and Beis Yaakov type of schools. Here's his original book that was printed in Lashon HaKadosh, mm-hmm. Here's a boys program, a 30-day boys program for camp, where it's each boy gets his booklet, and it's very, very inspiring. And again, it goes back to the nine or so benefits of life living in Hashem. And now we started it in Yiddish, which very rarely needed uh, in, the, in the Jewish community, the Hasidic community. This so, is so great. So it's educational programs, and we're starting early with the young children so that this becomes front and center. It's it's really so beautiful. Right. So then we have chaboras. We have ladies that connect with ladies. And basically, I've been supporting the initiative. And I did a 501C3. And our first fundraiser is next week. So to enable us to reach more people, we have to hire Mechankin. So Chabor would consist of of someone who's mastered the book and worked with Rabbi Friedman. They open a ladies' Chabor, and it's a beautiful book. And the ladies get together and read from the book. And and we sponsor, I sponsor the books for free. We're open and willing to do Chabor's anywhere anytime and as long as you're dedicated to learning together and giving Rabbi Friedman feedback please be in touch with us that's amazing now I I am curious because I wasn't familiar with the situation in Tom's River I'm not from the northeast 
did the situation like get better over time? <laughs> well, times better. Actually, it got great. So getting back to our neighborhood, yeah, people actually realized that the Orthodox Jewish people moving in were creating value through the homes and property. Oh. There are a lot of empty nesters. So really those signs, Tom's River Strong, came down real fast. Property values went up. The people that did not want to move started to appreciate us as neighbors. I have two neighbors on my, and again, what was it, 16 houses long, that wait for me on Chavez to say hello because they said we'd never speak to our neighbors. Wow. You know, if it wasn't for you guys, we would never even talk to our neighbors. Now, Mr. Gertner, you've been in the business world for so many years. And, and, and as you well know, this is an area where we really have so many opportunities to do a Kiddush Hashem, right? When we are in the world, as, as opposed to, I'm saying, as opposed to sitting in, 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 in Zal and learn, right? It's supposed to be sitting in Kola. When you're out there in the world, you're making a living, you're paying salaries, you're engaging with all sorts of people. It's a tremendous opportunity to make a Kiddush Hashem. So I would love for you to share with us a little bit about that because sometimes people miss it and kind of compartmentalize and think, okay, so my religious life is in shul, and then my business life is something else, but it really is one and the same. And Kiddush Hashem is one of the best ways that we can illustrate that. Right. So Rabbi Freeman teaches something very important. Everybody's familiar with Shavisi, that concept of God is in front of us all the time. So Orthodox Jewish people, we study Torah and we do mitzvahs. Beautiful. And then we rely on Siyat we rely on that beautiful wind in the background to be gracious to us and through our t- observance of Torah and mitzvahs, we will be beneficiary of Aravada. Shavisi is one thing. That's a very intimate, personal thing. A life of Mikach Shmachal, living Kiddush Hashem, is an interpersonal thing. Mm-hmm. It starts at home, making sure that you're Kiddush Hashem to your wife and your family. And then it goes on to show because you progress the day. So instead of just walking and showing with your towels and to fill in, you know, being upbeat and loving people, because Abbas Chinam, free love, not the Woodstock type of free love, the, ver- the opposite of Sinas Chinam, the animosity and hatred that caused destruction of the temple, Abbas Chinam will bring ultimately the Gulu. Right. So when you go to shul and you're ready to daven and you're in a yummy, warm place with your friends, all congregating to pray to God, you have to know what you're doing there. It's not shavisi's kach It's a bigger, higher purposes. And all the haskamas, by the way, that we got are endorsements. All the gedoli Torah, which is a story in and of itself, told me that this is a huge concept. And it should stand on its own two feet. It's absolutely critical for this to take hold, even more so in Israel, uh, mm. where you have more Jewish observant, as Lubavitch would say, and not yet observant Jewish people. It would be the biggest care program ever in Israel. So this is a very huge topic. So Mekatsu Shmechal is literally about how you go through your day from Shul well, if you go to the food store, you appreciate the cashier. Yeah. The guy's stocking the lettuce. They say good morning. They get to know you after a while. Right. And instead sure. of ignoring you, they actually start responding to you. Mm-hmm. And the gas station attendant. And 
It just is endless. When you fly through airports, every TSA person knows me. I, I have miraculous stories traveling because people just recognize you as a bright light. Wow. But imagine how visible Orthodox Jewish people are, whether it's a kippah sukkah, whether it's jeans and flying sitzes. We represent Hashem. Right. And when we are conscious and aware that we are nobility, okay, it makes a difference how we interact with people. Mm-hmm. This is how we can bring a change. You know, everybody wants today to jump on the bandwagon and scream about anti-Semitism. And I, I don't want to say publicly that we arouse anti-Semitism. I think anti-Semitism is there. But, you know, I believe that if we do our jobs, people will say, that's why the Jewish people got to Torah. Mm-hmm. I, that's an Orthodox Jewish person. Right. Driving Adel, letting another person in. It, it, it makes a difference. It does. Not going in the zoom, zoom lane on the left, driving the middle lane kind of nice and gentle. Right. It, it, imagine hundreds and thousands of Orthodox Jewish people doing this. You can literally change the dynamics and the perspective of the paradigm, the way people perceive us. You had a beautiful story recently of something that happened in your planned, I want to say it was maybe in North Carolina with the insurance adjuster. Yeah, yeah, that's crazy. That's, can you that's share with us? Sure. So we now buying a factory in North Carolina is not so simple. I was kind of warned at my closing, are you sure you want to go through with this? I was a polite warning, like, am I sure I know what I'm getting involved with? And I said, yeah, I'm fine. But moving to North Carolina had a lot of challenges. Where were you moving your factory from? Brooklyn, 50th and 1st, right over. We unfortunately had first eyewitness of the 9-11, the first crash and the second crash. And it was traumatic. And I wanted to get out of Brooklyn. My biggest supplier was actually in North Carolina, and so I bought a 200,000-square-foot building wow. on 40 acres. It's God's country. It's very beautiful. It's very nice. And there was a spinning company, a cotton company, that was one of the last operational facilities working in the United States until everything went to Central America. And it had this massive power grid outside of the building. And over the years, we were worried about it, and it was aging. And the week of the incident that we had, I was down there on Tuesday. I took a picture of it. I emailed it to myself, and I, as a reminder, Duke Energy. And I was going to call them and say, look, we've got to do something about this. I'm worried. I had been worried a number of years, but it was at the point where if it cost me money, I, I was ready to pull them. Long story short, Friday came along. I get this phone call, and I said, we've got trouble. And I said, what's that? And no, no, real trouble. We're down. I said, okay, that's not real trouble. Real, I don't have T-shirt emergencies. Like, is everybody okay? Yeah, everybody's fine. Mm-hmm. Okay, so what's the problem? Well, our system just went anywhere, and the plant's down. I said, okay, call Watson Electric Company. 
have them come down, assess what's going on, let me know. That's the Arab Shabbos. Mm. Uh, we have very sensitive equipment, printing equipment. I'm a garment manufacturer. And we have about 185 people working there. So we let everybody go home. Watson comes in and he says, you're going to be down for six months. Oh, my goodness. Virtually out of business. Yeah. (laughs) And everybody's freaking out except me. And it's a life of living Kiddush Shem. I was going to say, it's a life of Bitachon. Right. So I've had plenty of experiences in life that knowing your reaction defines who you are. So I really did everything I needed to do. I have a very expensive software called Zoom. And <laughs> it costs $18,000 a year. You can get anybody's email address, anybody's cell number. So, of course, I got the president, the vice president, the area manager, everybody in North Carolina in the energy, in Duke Energy has been touched by me within a matter of minutes, emails, <laughs> phone calls. I need help, get resources down there because my plant does a great job, but they just don't know how to go to that high level very quick. And uh, miraculously, Watson got a tractor trailer generator to power us up. It was a fortune. He said, usually it, we don't get these type of piece of equipment. We're uh-huh. usually months out. He got us one that day before Shabbos. It was crazy. Cost us $28,000 just to bring it in. Oh my gosh. $16,000 a month to run, $5,000 a week in diesel fuel. And we probably needed two. And the components that we needed were six months out. Okay. No problems. Call my attorney. I check out my insurance policy. I start to think, what do I do? Mom, okay. We're going to be up and running Monday. But there's a big cost to this. So well, my adjuster tells me, you know, call my attorney. Please look at my policy and make sure there's nothing that I don't, I'm not aware of. Make sure I'm doing it right. Report to claim. Takes a few days. The insurance adjuster comes to the building. Watson's a smart guy. He knows it's a big claim. As it winds up, it's a lot bigger than I thought. Mm-hmm. And he brings an expert outside of this company that has experience in explaining to insurance adjusters how this works. I'm watching the cameras from here. Now, most normal business people would have been there and phone there. It was on a Wednesday, Thursday, the following week. Mm -hmm. But my people are like my partners, even the manager, the people that I cherish. And I empower, and that's how I can live a normal life. So they're speaking to Watson and the insurance adjuster. I'm watching from the camera now to the third hour, back and forth, back and forth. And I'm like, okay, what's going on? I get a phone call. Mr. Gardner asks, insurance adjuster, how are you? Very good. I have good news for you. Your claim is going to be covered by our insurance company. I said, that's really great news. Like, you sound, it was an interesting tone. Mm -hmm. So I asked him, how do we know what it's going to cost? How do we know that Watson wasn't going to take advantage of an approved insurance? He says, now trust us, we know exactly 
what we're doing. We do multi-million dollar plans. Well, I said, fine, no problem. I just don't want anybody to take advantage of you. So, Mr. Gartner, I want to tell you something. From the moment I walked into your building, I knew this claim was going to be covered. I'm like, okay. Right. He says, I saw what's called a mezuzah on your door. And I knew after I saw one, I kept going through your factory on every door that this was an honorable company. A, B, you didn't fly down here. You didn't trust the people that work for you. And you're personally not pushing to get this claim approved. That to me speaks a role. I am very impressed with the way your people handled it. I want to wish you a good Shabbos. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Well, I want to tell you, my jaw dropped. I said, pardon? Can you repeat that for me? He says, well, I'm not Orthodox. I'm Jewish. But I just want to say, I go sometimes to the temple, and you're probably a really good man. And I know it's getting close to Shabbos for you. So I hope to meet you sometime in the near future. And I hung up the phone. I got very rarely do I get goosebumps, but I literally was so bored. It's a half a million dollar claim. This is a crazy story. Now, this begs the question I must ask. How did you talk about the, he, he noticed the way you treat and you empower your employees. You mentioned how you empower them. You didn't get on the plane. And again, most people would have gotten on the plane right after Shabbos and dealt with this themselves. Be there. How did you learn to manage people in this way? What's the secret here? Well, I, I learned how not to be treated by people that treated me with disrespect. And I vow not to treat people with disrespect. I think if you love people and you treat them with respect, it's like a Stephen Covey thing. I don't know if you're familiar with. The seven habits. Mm -hmm. If it's, if any relationship in your life, whether it's your your husband and wife or your children or your rabbi, if it's not a win-win, it's a win-lose or win-lose or it's ultimately a lose-lose. It's not going to work out. That relationship is not sustainable. So when you work with people and you want to enjoy life, you want them to enjoy life. Mm. Know that. And, and when I come to North Carolina, I'm not worried about the business. I'm worried about my people. My wow. people. Pedro is 77 years old. He gets the easy jobs. And, and, and Boris you know, an 82-year-old black guy that can't go, he can't live on Social Security. You know, these guys get my hugs. And I go around to the managers and, and, and I show my appreciation. And that's what I do when I go there. They are excited to see me. They're, most they're, people don't like when the boss shows up, but they, they love when you come over. <laughs> they do. They have no fear. They actually look for me. If I don't see people when I'm there, they get really upset. Hmm. It's it's a it's a way of life. Now I must admit that I've been on this trajectory and this path. It's something that I've been working on for many years. Hmm. I want to talk about some of the financial lessons that you've learned 
along the way, but primarily starting with your home of origin, because very often we learn so much from our home of origin about how to relate to money, how to relate to making a livelihood. Are there any stories that stand out from the, your parents' home growing up? Any any lessons that you learned that have helped you in adulthood or that you've... Well, I, I, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of things. First of all, my father made his livelihood selling steel. Okay. And my mom was a stay-at-home mom. That was the first principle. That was an incredibly strong impact in my childhood, having my mother always available. That was mm. We had dinner every night at 6 o'clock. But from the business perspective, I will tell you, whomever worked with my father, he was he loved. He worked for Mitsubishi Steel when mm-hmm. no one knew the name Mitsubishi. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't even pronounce it. And so all the vice presidents of the steel departments who had graduated to be presidents of Mitsubishi remembered my father. Actually, he had a life contract with Mitsubishi and they paid him until his last day. Oh my goodness. So he was very beloved there. And I watched my father and I, I think I learned a lot of charisma from him. Did I hear somewhere that your mother invested your bar mitzvah money wisely and that helped you later on in adulthood? I mean, I got to hear about Actually, this. Actually, that, that money, my, my, you know, in 1973, there was an oil embargo and uh, there was high interest rates. So my mom took my bar mitzvah money and invested it. When I got married, that's what I lived on. Did you so, always know you wanted to go into business? Well, I had no choice. Do you go straight into textiles? Well, actually, no. I had a a manufacturing company too long for one podcast. Mm -hmm. But when I hear great business stories, you'll have to invite me again. (laughs) I create a few patents. I sell a company for millions of dollars. Within three years of the company's existence, there were a lot of issues with chemicals in those years. The company that bought me was a food service company, mm-hmm. $450 million company at that point. They didn't want to get involved with chemical regulations. Overnight, I went bankrupt. What? The company went bankrupt. I lost all my restricted stock. I lost my father's money. I lost my... And so I went to work in flea markets for $100 a day. Wait, 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 wait. We need to talk about this. So you go bankrupt, you lose everything. Right. What, what is happening on a cognitive and emotional level? Like what, 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 what is happening? Talk to me about Hashem and you. Hashem, someone who trusts in God, Chesed, surrounds you. Right. So look, there is a point in my life where fast forward, I worked for a friend for a hundred dollars a day in the heat and the cold, and I'm making no money. I'm just and you have a family to support. I had at that point four kids. I had two boys born born in Israel, two girls born in Baltimore, and I'm going to flea markets, free flea markets with a friend for three hundred dollars a week. I had an eviction notice on my apartment. Long story short, I said, Isaac, can I take the van Wednesday night, the Tuesday night, and do a market Wednesday? 
I'll sleep in the van. You'll give me 33% of whatever I sell. And I started to make more money. These are very long stories. I wound up buying my own van. I wound up doing my own flea markets, buying from Isaac. Then I started to meet people and build things. And I was on my way to doing my own flea markets. And I was bringing in thousands of dollars a day. I grew my vendor base. I met some really beautiful Hasidic people who started to sell to me. And then my How long t- does this turnaround turn last? Well, I was doing flea markets for about three years until the Alexander Rebbe, the cousin from the Amstel Rebbe in Borough Park, told me to move to Borough Park as my oldest son was 10 years old. Mm-hmm. So from Pesach to the summer, Basically, we had to find an apartment, and there's stories how we got our apartment the very last moment they went to camp. But I thought I had enough money to make it to the next flea market season. And it was about Christmas time when, you know, I counted how much money I had left over. We were paying full tuition, and we were paying $35 an hour for tutor bills. And actually, I got a phone call one day from the... The math doesn't work. So I was sitting on a lot of money. I mean, we made two, $3,000 a week. Okay. The markets. Okay. When I went on my own. So I'm paying top dollar tuition and I'm paying for tutor bills. And we get a phone call from the yeshiva. We'd like to speak to you. So I call my wife up and I say, Havel, I have no idea, but they want to come over. Mm-hmm. So it's like we're in a brand new apartment, beautiful stuff without furniture. Okay, She's so things have girl. totally turned around at this point. You're making enough money. Okay, go on. I don't know, totally turn around because I'm not working and it's cold out and it's really an icy winter. I don't know. And long story short, they come over and I said, buy some rug, put some cake out and open the folding chairs. And they come in and they said, oh, it's nice to meet you. You ordered your furniture? And I said, no, no. What do you mean? I said, well, this is our furniture. But you're paying full tuition. I said, right, you're paying full tuition. So I don't, I don't step, Mr. Gartner, you don't have any furniture and you don't have anyone order coming in. I said, no. They said, so you're paying full tuition. I said, right. They said, why? And I asked, because the Rebbe told me that's the best money that you could spend. They were like, the jaws dropped and like they graciously got out of that meeting. Hey, no problem. Two weeks later, my wife turns to me and says, you know, we're out of money. And I said, okay, no problem. I had a van across the street, full with merchandise. Papa, I'll drive to Baltimore, and I'll go to an indoor flea market. It was winter. So she said, okay, no problem, but can you give me a few dollars to buy, you know, for the kids? That's Motsi Shabbos. I said, sure. So I had like $27 in my pocket and I gave her like $10. And 
I realized I get in my van, which the heater didn't work, and I didn't fill it up because it was the end of the season. I realized that I don't have enough money for the Arizona Bridge, mm-hmm. the Gothels Bridge. And <laughs> I don't have gas money. I don't. Have, I scrape quarters and I scrape dimes and nickels, and I'm on my last toll booth, and it's a dollar. And the sign says no pennies. And I'm like, oh, my God, what am I going to do? All I have is pennies. I count 100 pennies, and I say to the lady in the toll booth, please, lady, I don't have money. This is the last 100 pennies in my name. I need to leave. I gave her the pennies politely, and I drove off. And I was looking at the gas needle, and it was an empty. I was literally on fumes. I was about 25 miles away. And I was starting to talk real heavy to Hashem. And sure enough, the heavens open up and it starts to rain. Oh, my gosh. And I'm like, Job. I'm like, I I mean, what else could go wrong? Well, I knew I was, like, not going to make it, right? I said, Hashem, I did everything you asked me to do. And if this is the way it's supposed to be, then I accept it. I made it to the flea market very late, on fumes, no space available, and it's raining cats and dogs. I open up my doors, I put everything on the tables, and I sell out whatever I can. Put 700 bucks in my pocket. Go out, get some gas. Go to my mom's house. Take a hot shower. She feeds me dinner. I go home. I never told a soul the story, not even my wife. I get oh home. She says, how was your day? And I said, great. Well, Hashem, I give her the money. And that was the night. The next day, I went to one of my suppliers. It's an unbelievable story. I said, Saul. I said, you really need help around here. And it's a sheet of ice out there. I can't go anywhere. Would you like me to help your company? So they said, sure. But, you know, why don't you become a consultant for us and work? I didn't know what to do. So I went to my rabbi and I asked him. I said, rabbi, what do I do? So he says, tell him that this is the amount of money you'd like, two and a half days a week. And you want to buy materials at cost when spring comes around. So, of course, I went in and I worked six days a week. And they loved me. And when it got warm, they told me I wasn't leaving. And I'm sorry if I'm blabbing. But it's too much to say. I'm trying to keep it very short. And I said, well, I, I can't. I made too much money in the flea markets. Let me go speak to my rabbi. So my mm-hmm. rabbi told me, ask for this so much, and you're still going out on Sundays. And sure enough, they said, okay, and I started to put money away. Wow. And how Briscoe started, how my current company started, was another, you don't have time for that. Wow, 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 wow. Okay, let's, we got to do a part two. This is, this is like, I'm just, this is. So good. This is so good. 
I was, I was, somebody told, challenged me on Friday night and said, come on, do you really think that with Bitajon, a person who's having financial issues, who's really like, right, the things are going to turn around for them? And I so was like, an yes. Huh? I'm, I'm going to tell you something. I was like, yes. I'm going to, yes, it can. Terrifying. It could change. It could change. I mean, right? a person has to realize someone came over to me and showed a young kid, and, it, and a lot of people asked me for business advice. And they said, Where does stopless effort and help from heaven? Where do they connect? And they really want to know the essence of in simple words. Look, now I'm Shnafrabi said, you're responsible to make stopless in America. Hanasa is, is depending on stopless Maya. It's like the gentle wind in the background. If you're doing everything right, if you're learning Torah, your Amuna is connected, then everything else is left up to Hashem. There's a saying, when you choose your level of your Shemayim, everything else is calculated, not by you, but by God. And there are many trying times in life. But if you're not connected to the source, then you're in an ocean, in a storm, with no log, no life raft, nothing. And it's very uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. So is illogical to have faith? It's really the most logical thing. The most. The most. And it's fun. It's nice that you said that because just this morning as I was davening, I was thinking, because sometimes it is hard. I mean, I'm sure for men even more perhaps, but it, even davening is like, well, I have so much to do. Like I have so many things to do. Like I have so much work. I'm behind and this and that. Right. And I was thinking, ah, but this is the most important ishtatlus. This is the most important ishtatlus. I'm afraid that too too many people throw the words out in Dhabi and don't realize that they're actually it's a privilege to stand in front of Hashem, right. speak with Him, and be heard. Because, look, I'm going to make it really simple, if I may. There's somebody called Pascal. He was a theologian. Yeah. And he said a very simple thing. He said either God exists or God doesn't exist. Either you believe in them or you don't believe in them. Ultimately, it comes out the only way to win the game, according to Pascal, is for God to exist and for you to believe in him. Sure. Within that cube, there's a huge amount of space. Mm-hmm. How do you really express your belief? Right. Do you really believe? So I want to tell anybody that's listening that the rational choice is that God exists and for you to believe in him, now it's up to you to build your relationship with him. Exactly. In business, in your relationships, at work and at home, with your neighbors, with the non-Jewish people in your neighborhood and in the world. When people around the world learn of our true colors and our true essence, when you, the listeners out there, discover your true essence, that you are noble, and you are royalty, then you can change the paradigm of the world. Amen. Beautifully said. 
Mr. Gartner, can, do you have time for a few Jewish Money Matters fill in the blanks? This is a part of the show where I give you an open-ended sentence and you finish it with whatever comes to mind. Scary, but I'm 62 and capable. I, I know you're very capable. <laughs> when I give Meister or tzedakah, I like to give two. Uh, small individuals. Mm. Right. The the person who you know needs, right? Been there, been there right. on a personal level. Big organizations, someone said, no, they don't want to give the living Kiddush Hashem yet. You have to be like something like that has sizzle, you know? <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'd like to make more. I'd love to make more money because. I can give more money. Mm-hmm. I literally thought Hashem should make me more. I'm over 20%. I want to make more money so I can give more money. Wait, what did you say about 20%? I missed that. I give over 20%. My mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I take my money and I am way overextended. Yeah. Yeah. Baruch Hashem. Beautiful. Something so, I wish I'd learned about money growing up is. I learned everything I needed. Yeah, evidently you did. Beautiful. Money, spiritual or physical? Neither. Mm. Something I splurged on unapologetically is? I don't splurge. I'm a very simple man. Mm. I was going to say maybe Safarim. I was like thinking that was going to be the answer, but not no, even. In fact, the joke of the family is, please get me a Ford Escort. I really don't want or need this fancy car. And my office gets me a car and I'm very upset driving in Audi. Okay. <laughs> I don't like it. Get me a Ford Escort. And I love Tonga Shabbos. People mm. give to Tonga Shabbos. Mm. Remember, you're eating wonderful Shabbos food. Give to other people that aren't eating yeah. beautiful Shabbos yeah. meals. 100%. Today, I'm most grateful for. I'm north of the daisies and my wife. <laughs> Beautiful. And finally, I'm Mr. Scott Gartner, and I believe Jewish money matters because you're doing a beautiful thing and giving a platform, now kosher entertainment. So I speak with really good people. I prepared what I to know a little bit about you, and I saw the type of podcast that you do, and I want to compliment you and tell you you're doing a beautiful thing for all people. Jewish people, empowerment is so important. Sharing good information, knowledge is power. Thank you so much. And what you're doing is a real inspiration. Tell us where we can find you, how we can get involved with the Living Kiddush Hashem Foundation. Well, livingkiddushhashem.org is our website. And Rabbi Friedman's email is there. My email is there. Whether you want to do a chabura, if you want our materials in your schools, we're backlogged. We just... We have like 50 more schools on the list, but Rabbi Friedman has to get there. Amazing. And we need to hire more people. We So we need workers, we need wisdom, and we need wealth. Beautiful, beautiful. So we'll direct everybody to the website. And I highly recommend everybody should follow you on LinkedIn to also keep getting a lot of the inspiration. Again, having this concept of Kiddush Hashem front and center as a mission in life that really is a, a guiding post. Thank you for everything that you're doing. Thank you, Yael. Continue that slacha. Amen. To you too. 
Thanks to Mr. Scott Gardner for stopping by. To learn more about the Living Kiddush Hashem Foundation and to donate and help them continue and expand their education programs on living a life of Kiddush Hashem, head over to their website, livingkiddushhashem.org. Thanks everyone for being here. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review and rating on iTunes. It is one of the best ways you can help the show. I will be here on Friday to answer your questions, God willing. You can send those in via email, yael at yaeltrush.com, or you can DM me on Instagram or LinkedIn at Yael Trush. Have a great week.